This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, September 30th. I'm John Dickerson, and this is Face the Nation. Anguish, then anger, took center stage on Capitol Hill in emotional testimony by Kavanaugh accuser Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh himself. Ford told her story of being attacked by Kavanaugh at a high school party 36 years ago and what she remembered most from that night. The uproarious laughter between the two and their having fun at my expense. Ford said she's 100% certain Kavanaugh assaulted her. Kavanaugh said he was 100% certain he did not. You may defeat me in the final vote, but you'll never get me to quit. Never. Thursday's drama led to a head-spinning chain of events and left America split about who to believe. The 11th hour call from Republican Jeff Flake to have the FBI further investigate allegations against Kavanaugh seemed to cool tempers at first. Yeah, they have free reign. They're going to do whatever they have to do. But even the scope of that investigation has become controversial. We'll tell you why. CBS News' Scott Pelley spoke with Flake and the Democrat who helped prompt his decision. Delaware's Chris Coons for tonight's 60 Minutes. We'll have a preview. Then we'll hear from two key senators. One, a supporter of Kavanaugh, Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton, plus Minnesota Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar. Plus, a conversation with Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif. And author Michael Lewis, his new book is The Fifth Risk. All that, along with plenty of political analysis, is coming up now on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Republican leaders hope to move forward with votes in the Senate later this week on Brett Kavanaugh's nomination as soon as the FBI concludes its investigation into current credible allegations against him. We begin with a preview of tonight's 60 Minutes. Scott Pelley spoke to six members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, including Republican Jeff Flake and Democrat Chris Coons. I'd like to ask both of you what you made of Judge Kavanaugh's very emotional response on Friday and what it may or may not say about his judicial temperament. Does this man belong on the Supreme Court? Well, when he came, walked out, and you could see him open his binder and put his paper here, and uh, we knew that he was eager to testify. And I have to say that when I heard him, I heard someone who I hoped I would sound like if I had been unjustly accused. And to see his family behind him, as Chris said, and uh, it was it was anger. Uh, but um, 
But if I were unjustly accused, that's how I would feel as well. And I, as it went on, um, I think his interaction with some of the members uh, was a little too sharp. But um, the statement at the beginning, I thought, was pretty raw. But, uh, but in keeping with someone who had been unjustly accused. He, he had exchanges with Senator Feinstein, with Senator Klobuchar, with others that uh, I thought went over a line. Um, he was clearly belligerent, um, aggressive, angry, and I thought there was um, a tough dynamic there. Uh, as I watched him, part of me thought, this is a man who believes that he did nothing wrong and he's completely unjustly accused and he's being railroaded and he's furious about it. There were some lines that he delivered that were sharper, more partisan, more this is the Clintons paying me back. This is a Democratic smear campaign that I was surprised, uh, struck to hear from a judicial nominee. I'm not at all surprised to hear that from other colleagues in the committee or on television, but I was really struck that I thought his anger got the best of him and he made a partisan argument that would have been best left to be made um, for his advocates and defenders on the committee. Made you wonder about his suitability? In my case, yes. It made me wonder about his suitability to serve on the bench. But, Senator Flake, you identified I, with it. You, you understood. Well, I, the part that he talked about, the mention of the Clintons and whatnot, I didn't like either. Uh, it, it seemed partisan, but, uh, boy, I had to put myself in that spot. You know, I think you give a little leeway there. Scott also spoke with two Republicans on the Judiciary Committee who are strong Kavanaugh supporters, South Carolina's Lindsey Graham and Louisiana's John Kennedy. Could either of you change your minds depending on what the FBI report comes up with? Of course. I mean, of course. Open mind. Absolutely. I said, I said going into the, the hearing, I, I've talked to Judge Kavanaugh. I called him after this happened. The allegations came out. I said, did you do it? He was resolute, determined, unequivocal. Senator Grant, but, but, you, could you I'm change just, your mind? Uh, my mind's made up about Brett Kavanaugh, and it'd take a dynamite accusation because here's the deal. Uh, Dr. Ford, I don't know what happened, but I know this. Brett denied it vigorously, and everybody she names couldn't verify it. It's 36 years old. I don't see anything new changing. Be sure to tune in to 60 Minutes tonight for more of Scott's interviews. 7.30 Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, after football. And we are joined now by Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton. Welcome, Senator. After watching the hearings, you, you're a supporter of Brett Kavanaugh's. How did you process the new information that came out in the hearings? Well, John, first off, let's understand why we had to have this hearing. Ms. Ford made these allegations in a confidential letter to Diane Feinstein in July, shortly after Brett Kavanaugh was nominated. The very night he was nominated, Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader, said that he would do everything in his power to stop the nomination. And that's what happened. For three months, the Democrats have turned the advise and consent process into a search and destroy mission. These allegations are completely unsupported by any evidence. What evidence there is to a 36-year-old claim all support Judge Kavanaugh's denial. But the, the Democrats have disgraced this process in the United States Senate in the orchestrated smear campaign of character assassination they've run against Judge Kavanaugh. Their argument, of course, was that Dr. Ford asked to have this held in confidentiality and that they tried to do that. And that's what so let's, let me let me talk. Like, no, 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 let, no, 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 John, let me talk to you about that. Let me talk to your listeners about or your viewers about that. There is a well-established process of confidentiality on the committee. 
Dianne Feinstein could have showed that letter to Chuck Grassley, and the two of them, as the leaders of that committee, could have shared it with the FBI, who could have discreetly conducted this inquiry in July and in August without betraying Ms. Ford's competences. And they have betrayed her. They pointed her to lawyers who lied to her and did not tell her that the committee staff was willing to go to California to interview her. All that Now, all that's water under the bridge. Those lawyers are going to have to face a D.C. bar investigation and their misconduct. Diane Feinstein and her staff is going to face an investigation for why they leaked that. All this could have been done discreetly. It happens hundreds of, to hundreds of times every year in the Judiciary Committee. It doesn't, happen. It doesn't happen hundreds of times with, with issues that are this sensitive. But no, John, it does. it's, it's designed for issues that are this sensitive, John. Senator, it's designed I'm worried for issues you're not going like to get this. a chance to talk about Ms. Ford's testimony and Mr. Kavanaugh's testimony. You watched it, I assume. What was your, what was your takeaway from that? Judge Kavanaugh 100% denied these allegations. There is not a single bit of corroborating evidence. Every evidence that we do have, to include the people that Ms. Ford herself named, either don't recall this incident or they deny that it happened. Did you find Mrs. Ford, uh, Dr. Ford, credible? Ms. Ford was sympathetic and she was sincere. She has been victimized by the Democrats in this process, John. They betrayed her own request for confidentiality. They leaked this to the media at the last minute because they were on a search and destroy mission for Brett Kavanaugh. You said when we last talked in November, I think it's important that women feel they can come forward. That's a good change in the norms and the expectations of our society. A woman came forward here, uh, and you're saying basically she said nothing credible. How can women come forward if when they do, they're, they're told they're not credible? She came forward confidentially to Dianne Feinstein. Dianne Feinstein did not share that with the proper authorities. Chuck Grassley, her counterpart, with whom she served for decades in the Senate and the that. FBI, that could have reviewed these matters confidentially. Mm -hmm. Then they leaked it to the media, All right. but created, Senator, creating the circus environment you've seen for the last two years. So that a woman thinking about coming forward will have it immediately turned into a partisan issue, as you've done it. Her, her issues are not being discussed by you. You haven't discussed them since you've been here. Why would a, would a person want to come forward if immediately the response is to get ground up in this partisan thing? You're blaming it on the Democrats, fine, but she's still a human being who has come forward. How should she be? John, how do you process what she John, said? John, any impact that this entire episode has had on women's willingness to come forward and report sexual assault, which I encourage them all to do immediately after it happens, is caused by the Democrats. It's caused by Dianne Feinstein and Chuck Schumer not respecting her request for confidentiality. Now, when you come forward with an accusation as serious as this, it has to be tested against the evidence and against proof. And we would have known that confidentially inside the Judiciary Committee is in August. Is the FBI wasting its time? I don't, know what, I don't know what the FBI is going to find that the committee has not already found. The, the committee staff has already interviewed all the witnesses that Ms. Ford cited. They interviewed Ms. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh for six hours Well, they haven't interviewed Thursday. Mr. Judge. He sent them a letter. That wasn't He's, an interview. So you're not right they, about that. So they've either interviewed them or they've received well, letters, letters under penalty of perjury. Well, I, I'd that's be, different. Now these are so, actual interviews. So I'd be surprised if any of these people under penalty of perjury change... Their statements that they've already given the judiciary. Committee. Well, surprise, but that's why we have investigations. Wrestle stuff to the ground, have a neutral fact pattern. Clearly, the members of the committee on the Republican side want Kavanaugh to be uh, confirmed. So, why should people who want him to be confirmed be in charge of an investigation? Why not have neutral observers wrestle the facts to the ground, which is what's happening now? So, it's not a waste of time. John, we already know what everyone who's alleged to be at the party has said. They've submitted statements or been interviewed under penalty of perjury. I would be shocked if any of them changed their statement under penalty of perjury to the FBI. But if this makes a few senators more comfortable about going forward and voting on Judge Kavanaugh's very highly qualified nomination 
in, in the face of an orchestrated Democratic smear campaign, then was that he, may end up as a good thing. Was Judge Kavanaugh truthful in everything he said in his testimony? I found him to be truthful throughout his testimony. I found him to be What if it turns out he, he wasn't? I found him to be appropriately indignant sure. at the smear campaign. And I, I'm disappointed in what Chris Coon said on that video leading in. It reminds me of the old proverb, this animal is very wicked. It defends itself when attacked. Yeah. If they didn't want him to come in, come in, and be angry and indignant at their false accusations, they should have thought about that before they accused him of being a serial sex criminal for Let the last two weeks. Let me ask you this. If it turns out that he was not truthful about something that has nothing to do with what allegedly happened 36 years ago, truthfulness is still something you want in a Supreme Court nominee, though. Is that relevant? What are you talking about, John? But if it turns out in the course of the FBI investigation, so if his if Are his you siding with the Democrats and they want to have an open-ended fishing expedition? I think that's not fair, Senator. What are you talking about? I'm asking you if in the investigation it turns out that something outside of that is, if his testimony turns out to well, not look, be. Well, look, as John Kennedy and Lindsey Graham said, if there's some shocking new bit of, not accusation, but evidence and proof, then of course I'm open to evaluating that evidence. But I, su I strongly suspect that every statement that was made to the Judiciary Committee under penalty of perjury is the exact same statement that's going to be made to the FBI. And we'll know in a week. Thank you, Senator Cotton. We want to get some perspective from a key Democrat on the Judiciary Committee. Minnesota Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar is in Minneapolis this morning. Senator, what are your expectations about what the FBI will be investigating? Well, I think it's really important that the FBI get to the bottom of the evidence here, because what happened in that hearing uh, was that a number of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle said that they respected Dr. Ford, uh, that they thought she had dignity, that they found her testimony compelling. Well, you don't respect her if you don't try to figure out what actually happened. And so that's why I was so pleased when Senator Flake uh, rose to the occasion and said it was beneath the dignity of the Senate and beneath the dignity of the court, basically, if you don't follow up. And that's what this one-week investigation is about. Uh, and as long as it is conducted in a professional manner and we give the FBI uh, the ability to do their jobs instead of having it be micromanaged by the White House, we can at least get to the bottom of the evidence. Is your expectation when they do their job that they will just interview the four people who uh, were allegedly at this party or that they will do things outside of that, going to look at whether Mr. Judge worked at the Safeway and so forth? Um, it is the latter. I think they have to have the ability. I'm a former prosecutor. They have to have the ability to pursue the evidence. You look at background checks when either, whether it's the Obama White House, whether it's the Trump White House, yes, they can order a background check when they put a nomination in place. But they cannot say, oh, hey, only interview the people in their neighborhood on one side of the street or only interview people from a certain period of their life. You let the men and women of the FBI, the professionals, do their jobs. And that is what three Republicans asked, three undecided Republicans, did not feel comfortable moving forward with the vote on the floor without having this information. That is how you show Dr. Ford the respect you deserve. And unlike what I just heard from my colleague, uh, Senator Cotton, I think that there is evidence here. She, six years ago, uh, before... Uh, Judge Kavanaugh was famous. She said his name 
to her husband in a therapy session, and there are notes from that session. She took a polygraph test uh, and passed with flying co colors, and the FBI can look at that. There's all kinds of evidence that they can look at. Senator, do you expect the FBI to look into uh, the claims that, the, that Judge Kavanaugh made to you and others on the committee about his drinking habits, about college, about high school? Is, that, is, is the, the inquiry going to go into testing whether those statements were true? Well, I think that is relevant, because when I was asking him about whether or not he had uh, blacked out or maybe partially blacked out in the past because of excessive drinking, uh, he just turned it back on me instead of really answering that question. And the reason it's relevant is perhaps he doesn't remember what happened because there were repeated incidences of this excessive drinking. And so I do think it's relevant. But again, I don't think people should be micromanaging uh, the FBI investigation. We can make very clear that we think they should do the broad investigation we can get in a week, which is all Senator Flake uh, would ask for. But again, at least he asked for it, unlike some of my colleagues that just thought they should march ahead when a woman was telling her story, not just to a jury box of strangers, as so many people have to do when they're a victim, but to a nation, to the world. Let me ask you about uh, Senator Graham's claim and then the claim you heard uh, Senator Cotton make repeatedly this morning, which is essentially that uh, that the Democrats on the committee held this information, sprung it at the last minute. Senator Graham, in the hearing, said you had no intention of protecting Dr. Ford. None. You know what I thought when I heard Senator Cotton, especially today? I thought of that old legal adage, if you don't have the facts, you argue the law. If you don't have the law, you argue the facts. And if you don't have either, you pound the table. That's what they were doing. The truth is, this is a woman that went in and called the receptionist of her congresswoman just to report something before this man had even been nominated. She was concerned because his name was out there, and she wanted to get the information. Then. After she wrote this letter, which I didn't know about until a few weeks ago, but when she wrote the letter, she asked her congresswoman and Senator Feinstein for confidentiality. And that was why they hadn't given it to but, the FBI. But, the person, the, the news organization... Why not go to the majority and say, we've got this information, let's work on this and get this investigated together? I think that Senator Feinstein took this very seriously when she requested confidentiality. But here's the thing. The justice system is messy, John. Things come in at the last minute all the time, before trial at the last minute. The question is not what happened in the past. We can examine that later. There may have been better ways to handle this. The question is when you have power, what do you do with that information? Do you just sweep it under the rug and say, well, what happened in a house doesn't belong in the courthouse? No. You look at it. You don't sweep it under the rug. Mm -hmm. And that is a question that I posed to my colleagues that day. And I am just thankful that Senator Flake didn't have the stomach to let this continue without giving this woman the respect she deserved. 20 seconds, uh, Senator. This question of temperament. Doesn't Judge Kavanaugh, uh, isn't he right to defend himself if he feels he was wrongly accused? Of course he has a right to defend himself, but this isn't a criminal trial. This is a job interview for the highest court in the land. And my colleagues who are still undecided, that's not me, but my colleagues who are undecided are going to have to evaluate that temperament and evaluate his decisions from the past, which I think are extreme when it comes to presidential power. Okay. He was handpicked by a president. Thank you. Got to go. Thank you so much, Senator. And we'll be back in a moment Thank with a lot so more much. Face the Nation. Don't go away. Memories make us laugh 
and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading, and so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com save. It was a week of anguish in Washington. The storm showed on the spent faces of Christine Blasey Ford, Brett Kavanaugh, and Jeff Flake. Across America, people were wrung out, too, just from watching. Witness to one racked account stacked on another, each an expert on their pain, 100% certain, and the only certainty was that only one could be right. The woe accumulated. Kavanaugh's daughter praying for Ford. Ford calling lawyers from the Walgreens parking lot so that even 36 years later, her parents wouldn't find out. The high school calendars the judge kept to be more like his dad, and Ford's dispute with her husband over adding a second door to a renovation because the attack left her scared of enclosed spaces. The arena added to the anguish. The world's greatest deliberative body handled society's toughest questions with the nuance of a freight train. Partisanship shattered the dish that is supposed to cool the hot cup. At the end of this drama, there will be no winners. And yet... Calls to sexual assault hotlines have increased 200 percent since Ford's testimony. Senators on both sides and even President Trump deemed her credible. It is now the default in America that accusers must be treated seriously and respectfully. Now, only the willfully ignorant don't know why women don't report abuse. This means my daughter will live in a better world than her mother, who, like thousands of others, was inspired to explain why she didn't report last week a collective act that transformed what had been a wound into a walking stick. There is more anguish to come from this drama, but the culture has changed. A week of public anguish will mean less private anguish in the future. Back in a moment. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. 
That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. While Washington was captivated by the Kavanaugh hearings this week, in New York, a different drama was unfolding at the annual United Nations General Assembly. We spoke with Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif about how relations between the U.S. and Iran have gone from bad to worse since President Trump quit the Iran nuclear deal. When Margaret Brennan spoke to Zarif earlier this year before that happened, he had suggested that if Mr. Trump were to pull out, Iran might resume their nuclear program. That, that's still a possibility. Uh, but, but it hasn't happened it yet? It hasn't happened yet because Europeans have been working with us in order to make sure that Iran enjoys uh, the economic dividends of the uh, nuclear agreement. Uh, and we will be working with the Europeans. We've made good progress. But let me just make sure, after President Trump left the JCPOA, Iran did nothing additional with respect to building a nuclear program. We didn't. The U.S. is threatening those European countries and saying if you continue to do business with Iran, you won't be able to do business with the United States. Can they sustain a relationship with Iran under that kind of pressure from the United well, States? Uh, the United States is asking countries to violate international law and is telling countries and companies that if they observe the law, they'll be punished. This is probably unprecedented, uh, even for a bully uh, in, in, in a town to go to the sheriff's office and tell, tell them, if you try not to rob people, you're going to be punished. You think the, President Trump is a bully? Uh, well, I think the behavior is one. The problem is the United States is pushing people to act in a lawless way. Uh, I don't think it's going to be sustainable. Uh, this policy is going to have a backlash. The international community is not going to accept somebody to come and just orders them. Uh, we will continue to work with the Europeans. Uh, certainly some European companies have withdrawn from Iran because of the fear of punishment uh, by the United States. What, what faith did they give you that they're going to hang with Iran under the pressure? I mean, what do they tell you? The verbal response has been positive. Now we have to see that in operation. Uh, and they are promising us that before... Uh, the second batch of sanctions go into, into force, uh, they will have something uh, available to, to address the problems. We will see. We'll have a lot more of our interview with the Iranian foreign minister in a moment. Stay with us. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love. Or visit www.pacificlife.com. And we'll be right back with a lot more Face the Nation. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Pace the Nation. We continue our conversation with Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif about the deteriorating relationship between the United States and Iran. Today he says he wants to talk to President Rouhani. Tomorrow he says President Rouhani is a corrupt dictator. Will the third have, day, the third day he says he, he's a lovely man. Then he says he, we have asked to talk and he, he's not prepared to talk. So seen, let's be serious. Well, let's, but, but, but you know, you've seen what happened with North Korea. He said a number of very bombastic things and now there is talks and there is, you know. But there's not, there is no outcome. There's some photo opportunities. Is there any chance that, he, that no. Rouhani and President Trump... No, until he decides... First of all, President Trump has not decided whether he wants to meet, not meet, dictator, lovely man, whichever, whichever it is. But until the United States shows that it's a respectable, trustworthy partner in negotiations. Negotiations are not based on trust. Negotiations are based on, are based on respect based on a, an expectation that the other side will comply with its uh, decisions uh, that it's undertaken under the negotiation. What do you make of Secretary of State Mike Pompeo? What should I make of him? He's, he's made all the wrong moves against Iran, uh, and I, I believe uh, he has made major mistakes about our region. I believe, uh, I mean, seriously, I believe the United States needs to uh, review its policy uh, with regard to our region. President Trump targeted Iran repeatedly in his uh, remarks to the UN General Assembly. Um, I think it's not uh, a sign of strength. Uh, he's making all those statements. He convened the meeting of the Security Council to bash Iran. And at the end of the day, 14 out of 15 members of the Security Council bashed his decision to walk away from JCPOA. So, unfortunately, the United States has managed to isolate itself in the world. President Rouhani said that uh, President Trump has tendencies resembling a Nazi disposition. What does that mean? Well, uh, I mean, the xenophobic tendencies that he has exhibited, the wall, uh, the Muslim ban, ban on Iranians traveling to the United States, all of these are, rem I mean, reminiscent of the type of mentality. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, as you know, responded quite forcefully to that in an interview with Nora O'Donnell. He He's said, always forceful, but <laughs> forceful does not mean logical. He said, for a Holocaust-denying country that is threatening Israel, to compare the United States or its leader to Nazis is among the most outrageous things I have ever heard. As I said, being forceful is not being logical. Uh, Iran uh, has... Uh, stated very clearly that we reject the killing of innocent people, no matter what numbers, no matter by who. You're talking and about the Holocaust have, now? Of course. Yes, and the Holocaust have, happened and of 6 course million Jews died. Of, of, of course it did, and a huge number of people died. Uh, a huge number of innocent people died. But it does not justify depriving others of their homeland. It, it, does it does not justify building settlements in the territory of other people. It does not justify violating en masse the rights of Palestinians. The Holocaust cannot be used as a justification for an apartheid policy in Palestine. You have talked about mutual respect if there's ever going to be conversations with the United States and Iran again. 
when President Rouhani says that President Trump has the tendencies of the Nazis who are responsible for killing so many innocent Jews, how can you have mutual respect? But I, I, I mean, if you, if you just put the insults that President Trump has had against Iran, whatever President Rouhani says cannot even uh, get close to what he has done with us. Even in his speech to the, to the General Assembly. Even when he compares him to the organization that killed six million Jews, well, innocent Jews. Well, he's the man who separated uh, children from their mothers. But it was not the incineration of six million people because of their religion. But, and he didn't call him such. He said these are behavior exhibiting uh, the same type of approach. In America, we would call that weasel words. He's using the word Nazi. Well, uh, it's, a, it's a mentality that we believe needs to be averted because it's a mentality, it's an approach. You see, Iranians went out in large numbers on September 11th, 2001, holding a candlelight to mourn the death of Americans. The same Iranians cannot come here to the United States to see their kids and grandkids. We have received negative response from the United States government. The current government unreasonably destroyed, unreasonably destroyed a, an agreement that had been worked on for so many years. Uh, so I think we are uh, the ones who should be complaining. President Trump, in his televised statements, has insulted Iranians. He called the entire Iranian people a terrorist nation. He called us an outlaw nation. We don't take that lightly. Mm -hmm. All right. Mr. Foreign Minister, thank you so much. Good to be with you. And we'll be right back with our political panel. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. And we'd like to welcome our panel now for some political analysis on the remarkable week we just had. Molly Ball is a national political correspondent for Time magazine. Michael Gerson is a Washington Post columnist. And Jan Crawford is CBS News chief legal correspondent. We've been at the table all week together, Jan. Michael, I want to start with you. Where are we at the end of this week? Well, you know, I think the tribes in American politics have their big narratives about Me Too and about, you know, a political ambush on the part of the Democrats. But when you actually watched the hearing, 
these were two raw human beings. You seldom see in political life people that are exposing their deepest selves on television. Um, and so, you know, in the case of uh, uh, Dr. Ford, after her testimony, I felt emotionally, this is over. She, you know, there's no way that they can go forward with Kavanaugh, given the credibility of what was said. And then I saw Kavanaugh, who acted like a man who was deeply wronged um, and was credible in that sense, credible even in being a little out of control, okay, as you might be in a circumstance like that. And so it's, you know, everyone's now going to the FBI because it's the only respected institution left in our public life. Um, and they're probably not going to solve this uh, matter. And uh, it's going to be interesting. How do people make their choices about the burden of proof? That's exactly right. Molly, what do you think? Where are we? Well, in practical terms, the, the, the Senate is in a state of sort of suspended animation, right? There were enough senators who did feel that the FBI might be able to bring some clarity to this, that I think they, the Senator Flake and, and others uh, were convinced that there were at least enough out, outstanding questions that maybe evidence could uh, either be surfaced or at least be ruled out the existence of potential evidence that they could go out and look for. So everything is going to hinge on what, if anything, this investigation finds. But, you know, Senator Flake, uh, for Senator Flake, this wasn't just about uh, the two witnesses or this particular partisan battle. He said this is about trying to bring the country together because for him, the way that it had devolved into this pitched partisan battle that seemed to be without regard for what the underlying truth was, that was what bothered him more than anything. There were other Republican senators who agreed with that, who felt that they wanted more clarity before going forward, and that clarity could be, you know, in one direction or the other, but in a week's time, potentially they'll, they'll feel better about whichever vote they decide to take. You know, that's a lot tough job for the FBI to make people feel better in and, this and that's, And I think that's not going to happen. I think it's a mistake to think that the FBI report will really change anyone's minds. I think Democrats are not going to be satisfied with it. They're going to say it was too limited. They needed more witnesses. Uh, we need more time. And we need another hearing uh, to hear from some of these witnesses. And Republicans are never going to agree to that. With the, with the real memories of 1991 and Justice Thomas on their minds. And we can't understate the impact that that has had on the distrust that you see in this committee and how that was handled in 1991 by the Democrats. Um, so the question then becomes, what difference does it make to those three moderate Republicans, uh, Jeff Flake, Susan Collins, and Lisa Murkowski? And my sense is the FBI report, once they've gotten these statements under oath uh, from the FBI, that may be enough to satisfy them, because at least then they can say, well, we did do an FBI investigation. That is now something they can check off. Right. And so, Molly, I, uh, what Jan says makes sense to me, which is that you have the Republicans here who were inclined to vote for Judge Kavanaugh anyway, so that after a week, doesn't it have to be a piece of evidence so big that they say, well, I was inclined to go in this direction, but this has blocked me? Is that where it really what the test is? I think that's right. And I would add to that there's a couple of moderate Democrats hanging in the balance as well. And that was Senator Flake's hope was that if enough clarity could be brought to this or at least leads run to ground, that then Democrats and Republicans who find themselves caught in the middle, yes, the majority of Democrats have made up their minds and are going to vote against this nomination no matter what. Uh, and the majority of Republicans have made up their minds and are going to vote to confirm almost no matter what. 
Uh, but there are enough in the middle in that small bipartisan caucus of swing votes. And uh, Senator Flake's hope was that by bringing those people together, we could show, one could show the nation that this was not merely a partisan problem. Yeah, I would only add, though, the, the FBI investigation, the extent of it is still up in the air. I talked to Senator Flake this morning, and they're still negotiating with Don McGahn and determining who's going to be talked to, the extent of the pool of who's going to be talked to. And that could add additional information. Um, I, I'm not sure it's going to determine what happened in that room yeah. <laughs> that, that they're talking about, but it could certainly add support to one side or another. It's possible. But I agree with that uh, these senators, someone like Senator Collins, really likes Kavanaugh. I mean, she has told other people that he, it was one of the best judicial interviews she's ever had when they talked. Um, so I think there is a predisposition here among Republicans to, to go uh, unless there is something decisive. Gian, one of the other avenues that some Democrats are talking about is that Judge Kavanaugh made a lot of assertions about how much he drank, his behavior, and that there are classmates uh, in high school and in college who challenge those claims. That's not about 36 years ago. That's about claims he's making now in the hearing room. Do you think they have any grounds there? Because their argument is this goes to his credibility. He can't be a judge if he's not telling us the truth now. You know, the way I see that is that it kind of goes back to his demeanor in this hearing. Um, and to your point that he was outraged and at times indignant and, it, and as some people have said, he came across as belligerent. But this was a, a man who said, this is my life. This is the life I've lived for the last 36 years. I've put up countless character witnesses, uh, including from high school, that this was my behavior. And we are sitting here uh, talking about uh, people I don't know or remember from you know, high school or college. It was almost like he was incredulous that this was the conversation. And so I would not expect any of that to come up in an FBI report when you're going to try to find. That's not what the FBI's role is in this. And it's an interesting um, world that we're in right now if we're going to have politicians on Capitol Hill able to instruct the FBI to go and investigate what, whether or not someone's roommate in college believes that they drank. There, there's no allegation of criminal misdoing here. There's no jurisdiction for the FBI. This is supposed to be done as a confidential FBI background check for a Supreme Court nominee. So I feel we, you know, we kind of need to remember what is the point of the FBI, what is the role of the FBI, and, and how comfortable are we just giving, having politicians give the FBI this wide-ranging authority to investigate any behavior in someone's background once they put themselves up for public service. It's a different road that we're going on. Michael, what do you... We are having a big, large cultural moment as well. Is it possible for a politician to say, I believe what Dr. Ford said, I believe that women don't immediately report, I believe all of the things that have been very much in the news, and yet a standard of proof has not been met, and I'm going to vote for Judge Kavanaugh? Well, I think that's what Senator Flake may end up, and some other people in that position, um, of saying this was credible testimony, but there's a precedent here that says, based on one accusation with, without contemporaneous cooperation, um, that uh, you can't make de decisions based on that. I think a lot of Republicans will be in that situation. And it is a conflict, um, but I do think a lot of people uh, in public life, men, imagine themselves in the same circumstance of being accused. Mm -hmm. um, and, and mothers with sons. And, you know, uh, grandmothers with, I mean, it's, it's not, and sisters with brothers. So right. I think it's a mistake to think of it as just this is how women see this and this is how men might see it. And the imagination is different than the 
than the facts, which is that there are more unreported sexual assaults than there are men who are publicly accused. I mean, there are acute examples, but the, the balance of the, uh, the fact tends to go to people who are who have been sexually assaulted and don't talk about it. So if that's the case, Molly, is there a risk politically for someone who says, look, something has not been proved here, that Democrats will say, you're missing the central point, that to, to understand the experience of women is to believe them when they say these things? Well, you know, I think the bigger picture politically is that while there were many who saw themselves in the shoes of Judge Kavanaugh, there were also a lot of American women who were strongly compelled by Dr. Ford. Yeah, and uh, the emotional outpouring that you saw all across the country, people calling into their, their members of Congress, people watching transfixed on screens all across the country this hearing, it was a really wrenching and emotional occasion for America. And I think it's one that we're going to look back on as a cultural touchstone for years to come. In political terms, we're going into a midterm election where had this never occurred, it was already an election about women anger and women's voices and a, a, a female-driven backlash to all of the cultural and political currents of the day. And so, you know, this, this only drives that further. It's almost, it's almost absurdly fitting that this should be the sort of final political controversy before this year's election. That's right. Well, as Michael said, the tribes have their narratives out of this. All right, we're going to have to end it there. Thanks to all of you. And we'll be back in a moment. We are joined now by author Michael Lewis. His latest book, the Fifth Risk takes readers inside the transition of power from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. Welcome. Thank you. What is the fifth risk? It's uh, the short answer to that. There's a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is it's the risks that you don't imagine. Sort of the unknown unknowns, as Donald Rumsfeld put it. But it's sort of like, if you think of the federal government, one way of thinking about it, I mean, its basic job is to keep us safe. And one way of thinking about it is this portfolio of risks that it's managing. And at any given time, it's focused on a few of them. But there are dozens of others, and we're not thinking about them. And when you have an administration like this administration that's not terribly concerned with the running of the federal government and has been really kind of negligent in the way it's gone about it, it's, it's like, what happens to all those other risks? Well, and, and explain to people what you mean by the federal government, because people would hear, well, Donald Trump says, I passed tax cuts, I'm cutting regulation, I'm doing all these things. Yeah, yeah, well, the federal government's Two million people, uh, and and it's an enormously complicated enterprise, and so it gets me going on this subject. Is um, the Obama administration uh, devoted the the lives of about a thousand people over the course of a year to prepare briefings for whoever was going to run the federal government to come in the day after the election and learn about what's going on in the Department of Energy or what's going on in the Department of Education. And a lot of this is not ideological. It's like, what problems are we dealing with in the center of disease control? And how do we deal with it? How do we deal with the Ebola, Ebola crisis and how might you deal with it if it happens? Um, and they were expecting the, the, whoever was elected to show up in, in, you know, in the hundreds. Right. The day after election, no one shows. The week after the election, no one shows. In fact, many of the briefings never happened. Right. Uh, and so the, the Trump administration, I think, from day one, was starting from a position of ignorance. So you had the Iranian foreign minister on, and, and, the, and Trump came in and decided to blow up the deal with Iran. Where would you go in the federal government the day after you're elected to understand the importance of that deal? You go to, believe it or not, the Energy Department, where there are physicists who will explain to you why that deal ensured that... Iran will not be able to build a nuclear bomb. The people in the Energy Department, where, by the way, they tend the nuclear arsenal, 
uh, waited for months for anybody to show up to explain exactly what they did. And to this day, the, 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 actually, the government has never properly been handed over. What people don't, it's like an enormous corporate takeover where the company doing the taking over doesn't have the experience and doesn't know the job. So And, and, and it's so um, dismissive and contemptuous of the job that, I mean, Trump himself turned to, uh, to Chris Christie, who he had deputed to handle the transition, and said at one point, look, the government, if we win, we can learn what we need to, we need to run it in two hours at the victory, at the victory party. Uh, so, so this is, this is a problem. Explain uh, the it, things that people w don't think of when they think of the government that you spend so much time looking so into. So what I did is I sort of, sort of I, I mean, I was in a position where I was spoiled of choice. But I really do think you could drop a writer down in any of the federal departments right now and he'd come away with a riveting story of risks you do not appreciate that you should appreciate. So Commerce Department. Horribly misnamed. should be called the Department of Data. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's sort of the census is there, a lot of economic statistics is there, and the entire, all the weather and climate data is there. So it's like how we get a picture of ourselves and, and our environment. And uh, the, the Trump administration has basically neglected the vast majority of it. But um, uh, the Weather Service, um, it's filled with really interesting people who are weather geeks. They have transformed uh, weather prediction mm -hmm. uh, over the last 30 years. Why you aren't going to get hit by a hurricane without knowing. You can thank them for it. Uh, and it's all because th th of, the, of the, the collection of data. that they, they put someone in there who's trying to shut down, essentially, the public's access to the data that the, the Weather Service uh, generates. And the reason people should care about it is that these people that you write about deal with the long-term problems, and politics forces politicians to only deal with what happens in five minutes. Look at your show, right? You're dealing with whatever happened that day or that week. And, and you're, what, we, what we got here is a, a, a portfolio of very long-term risks that... If the federal government doesn't do it or manage it well, no one will. It's the only tool. And I think we've got to shift the narrative. I mean, the narrative has been for, for a generation that this, this thing, this federal government, is this, like, burden in the society. It is a society that, it, it, that if it does not function well, we're, we're doomed. And, and, you know, Trump, in this sense, is kind of just a symptom, not a cause. I mean, decades and decades of rust have accumulated on this machine, and he's come in with a sledgehammer. And the question is what it means. I mean, what risks do we run as a society if we let him do what he's doing? It seems that you're making the counter-argument to Ronald Reagan used to joke I'm, uh, that the funniest laugh line is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Your, your argument is basically, they are here to help. Oh, my. I think, I think uh, right, and th th that if you were going to moneyball American society and try to identify uh, where people are really radically misvalued, it's, at the, it's in the public sector right now. That, that we are radically misvaluing the, the, the public, especially at the federal level. And uh, there's this myth that, like, the private sector does all the, all the interesting stuff and the private sector do, is, is the engine of economic growth. Um, it's not true, you know, that... All the basic science is under the Internet, Microsoft Windows, GPS. You can let you on and on and on. It starts with, with programs in the federal government that are now imperiled. All right, Michael Lewis, we're going to have to end it there, and we'll be right back. That's it for us today. Thanks for watching. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm John Dickerson. And I'll see you tomorrow on CBS This Morning.
And this has been Face the Nation. Today's guests were Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton, Minnesota Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar, and Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.